It's really important that we follow a child's interest and let them lead. And I like to remind parents of that because I think sometimes, you know, in the Pinterest world, set so many activities up or try and get our child to do do things a certain way. Sometimes it just takes connecting with them through their interests and what they're interested in. SLPs, I'm Michelle, and this is the Pep Talk Podcast for Continuing Education. This podcast provides furthering knowledge on topics related to speech-language pathology. I interview experts in our field to bring you the most up-to-date information so you can go out into your workplace and feel more confident and learn new skills. You can use this episode for a professional development hour to maintain your ASHA CCCs. This course is also certified by the Texas Speech and Hearing Association, also known as TISHA. You must complete the course quiz with a passing score to earn your certificate of completion. You can find more information, other courses, and helpful tools on my website, peptalkpodcastforslps.com. Connect with me on Instagram, Facebook, or email me at michelle at peptalkpodcastforslps.com. I love hearing from you guys. Please don't hesitate to reach out. Just a quick disclaimer, the contents of this episode are not meant to replace clinical advice. Pep Talk Podcast, its host and guests do not represent or endorse specific products or procedures mentioned during the episodes unless otherwise stated. Each episode topic has been carefully chosen to fill an educational need. If you have an additional perspective or any information to contribute, or if you need special accommodations to participate in this course, please reach out at info at peptalkpodcastforslps.com. This entire episode is transcribed if you would like to or need to read this episode in text. Hey there, I'm Michelle Andrews, and I'm your host for the Pep Talk Podcast. This episode is all about how and what to recommend to parents for early language development. I've seen so many parents trying their best, but they just don't naturally know what to do to facilitate early language skills sometimes. Maybe they have brought their child in for a speech therapy evaluation and are looking for answers, or maybe they have been in speech for a while and need recommendations along the way as the child progresses. This episode will leave you with confidence to make those recommendations in a toolbox of go-to ideas. Our guest speaker today is Kelsey Finn, and she is going to tell us all about her tips and tricks for early language development. Let me tell you a little bit about Kelsey. Kelsey is a pediatric speech-language pathologist from Arizona who earned her master's degree from Pacific University in Oregon. She's worked in different roles with both children and adults in the private practice setting throughout her career. She has found her passion in working with children in early intervention. She currently stays home with her four young children ages seven years to six months. She loves implementing her skills as a therapist into her daily life with her own family as well as training parents through social media how to encourage communication in their homes. First, we need to go over some formalities for the course by going over our financial disclosures. My financial disclosures include, I have a Teachers Pay Teachers, Boom Learning, and Teach With Medley store under Pep Talk LLC. I am also the founder and manager of Pep Talk and the Pep Talk podcast. Teach With Medley is also a sponsor for this podcast. My non-financial disclosures include, I have a stock participation plan with Teach With Medley. Kelsey's financial disclosures include, she is an Osborne Books and More independent contractor. She has affiliates through Amazon and bookdepository.com. Her non-financial disclosures include, no non-financial disclosures. 
Now, here are the learner objectives for this course, aka the important things you will learn. You will be able to list five early language facilitative actionable steps. You'll be able to identify why wait time can encourage communication. You'll be able to describe seven actions to do while reading books that encourage early language development. Okay, let's get started. So this episode of the Pep Talk podcast is all about those conversations with parents looking for answers, looking for ways to facilitate early language skills. Whether you're a well-seasoned SLP or just getting started in your career, today we are going to sharpen your skills for making recommendations to parents. I am so excited to introduce today's guest speaker, Kelsey Finn. Hi there, Kelsey. Hi, Michelle. Thanks so much for having me on your show today. Yes, I am so excited to have you here. Kelsey, I know I introduced you some, but tell me a little bit more about yourself. Sure. Um, yeah, as you mentioned, I have a love for working with the pediatric population. Um, this is what drew me to our field in the first place. Uh, so throughout grad school, I really enjoyed working in the schools during my externships and thought I would end up working there actually after graduation. Um, but instead, I completed my CFY at a pediatric therapy clinic where we worked closely with occupational therapists. Um, so that was really fun to learn a little bit about sensory processing and how much that affects children and their ability to focus and learn. Um, I really enjoyed the families I met there and the other therapists I work with. Um, and then I had my first child, so I took some time off. And during that time, an opportunity came about for me to receive some training doing modified barium swallow studies in a rural hospital here in Arizona. And I always was curious about this side of our field, so I took the chance. Um, and once again, I met some really awesome, intelligent therapists and enjoyed the work. Um, it was really fun. It was a huge challenge uh, and change for me from pediatrics, um, but it, in a good way. Uh, then I had my second child, so once again, I took some time off. Um, and after that, I, I went back to pediatrics, working with clients privately before having my third child, and then six months ago, I had my fourth child. So um, I've, I've taken some time off now, um, and since then, have just enjoyed training parents through Instagram and connecting with other SLPs there. And I really feel like I didn't truly understand language development until I had my own children. Um, and I'm, I'm learning more every day uh, as, I, as I'm with them and um, during my life as a mother. Um, but I consider myself lucky that I can apply so much of the knowledge I gained as a speech therapist to my everyday life as a mom now. I completely agree. I have three children of my own and seeing it just daily, <laughs> that, that development daily is amazing. And it's something that, yeah, also I feel like has really helped me as a speech therapist see that side of things and can really relate to the parents as well. Um, okay, so let's first talk about what parents are looking for when they seek out an SLP and what do they want and what do they need? Yeah, I think a lot of parents reach out to speech therapists because their child isn't talking um, or they notice their child is is showing differences from other children their age. And these parents really want their child to talk. Um, it's a big milestone that everybody kind of looks forward to, um, but they don't really know what to do to encourage that to happen. Uh, and as speech therapists, we have like this wealth of knowledge about language development and child development. And I think sometimes we kind of forget um, that we have all this information, but it's not well known to everybody, uh, including parents. There's no, there's no training manual for raising children. And so 
Um, parents whose child is not talking yet are worried and they, they just want advice of, of what they can do at home um, and how they can encourage their child to, to better communicate with them. Exactly. We have all this, all this knowledge already in our heads from grad school, from undergrad, that early language development background. And some things come natural to us that we almost forget about. Like I'm sure with my own kids, I'm just constantly giving them speech therapy and I'm not even meaning to, you know, just that the way I play with them is, um, you know, I'm, I just, you can't turn it off sometimes, but, so but true. yes, with, um, yes. And with some parents, you know, that, that doesn't come natural and that's not something that they have a background in and they do just kind of need those tips and tricks and they, they need to under, they, they need, um, some recommendations to, to figure out the best way to help their children communicate their wants and needs. Now, I know too much information could possibly overwhelm parents if, you know, we just gave them a, a graduate school uh, crash course. <laughs> but I hear you have some, you have five awesome go-to tips for parents. So what are your five recommendations? Um, and then list them for us and then we'll elaborate on each one. Okay. Yeah. So I, the five things I like to recommend to parents are get face-to-face, become a narrator, repetition is key, um, give wait time and read. And Again, just to reiterate, I know these are not new to us as speech pathologists. There's there's no exciting or new thing. Um, but a lot of parents don't have this information or have forgotten if they've learned it before. Um, so we want to teach them. It's our job uh, to teach them how to, to implement these, these skills to help their children. Research shows that how important it is to train caregivers how to work on their child's communication goals at home. Um, so helping these parents to understand these um, these tips uh, is going to get them to implement them at home um, and help their child accomplish their communication goals. That's right. That's where the child is most of the time. You know, they're with either that parent caregiver or possibly even at a daycare or something. But that's something that the parents or caregivers can can have strategies for to implement kind of consistently. Um, throughout their day instead of just, you know, maybe they're the, what, 30 minutes up to an hour a week, possibly of speech therapy, but being able to be, um, be consistent with these tips and tricks will go a really long way. All right, let's start with number one. What advice do you give parents for getting face-to-face? Yeah. So we know that the first step in communication development is connection. We have to connect with our communication partner by looking and listening and attending to them and whatever they're trying to communicate. Um, so we can't expect a child to talk with us if they're not engaged with what's going on uh, around them and with us. Um, so I like to teach parents the importance of getting down at their child's eye level. This way, both the child and parent see each other's facial expressions, their mouth movements, and they're engaged with each other. That's very important for parent and child. Get down on their level. Um, another thing is following the child's lead. That's another strategy I like to recommend in terms of face-to-face time. Uh, when we enter a child's world, instead of trying to control their play or activity, we're more likely to attract their interest and connect with them. It reminds me, I, I once had this client where the entire session, we jumped on rock pavers in the backyard and just and played that way for the whole 30 minutes. Um, I copied her movements and her vocalizations in attempts to to get her to to want to connect with me um, and hopefully maybe try to imitate me or um, 
to build that connection and rapport. Um, and I had an entirely different lesson planned. Uh, but when I entered her world, I found our session was more more effective than it would have been if I had forced her to perform the tasks I had planned. But it's really important that we follow a child's interest and let them lead. And I like to remind parents of that because I think sometimes, you know, in the Pinterest world, set so many activities up or try and get our child to do do things a certain way. Sometimes it just takes connecting with them through their interest and what they're interested in. Um, face-to-face time really is like it teaches children the importance of, of looking and attending and, and overall that communication is social. Um, so it's a really important strategy for, for all stages uh, of communicators. And I think um, no matter what stage their child is at, it really helps target even those pre-linguistic skills like joint attention, uh, receptive language, imitation. Those are all needed before first words come. Um, so reminding parents to to connect first and get face-to-face is important. I love that. That's so important, getting down face-to-face. Because think about how much taller often we are than oh one-year-old child or two-year-old, you know, whatever, around that age, you know, I getting right up, you know, face-to-face with them. They're able to see the way you're saying words and really look at your mouth and your face. That's so, so important. And I love how, I love your story about letting that child lead. And that's something that I think we can also encourage in parents is that being silly factor, you know, like it's okay to just go jump on rocks and, you know, do do silly little games that the child's interested in. You know, it doesn't have to be one of those tabletop Pinterest activities that, you know, maybe that they're not super interested in or, or it may, sometimes they are. And, but often I know I, I look on Pinterest and I see all these elaborate crafts and then it ends up being that we're, we're just putting googly eyes on the popsicle sticks and we're not really making the whole elaborate owl or whatever it is, you know, Um, you know, just being silly with it and, and being okay with that and just looking for opportunities to facilitate language. I love that. Um, So there was this recent case study on contingent imitation and how it positively impacted children's communication skills. Um, In this study, they found that imitating the child's body movement, gestures, vocalizations, and actions led to increased social engagement. Um, They also found that when they trained caregivers to implement this strategy, the caregivers diminished the number of questions and directives they used with their child and better recognized their child's attempts to communicate. So really teaching parents to imitate their child's gestures and actions and vocalizations can help a child better connect with their caregiver. Um, Like we mentioned previously, like connection is an important stepping stone to talking. Um, So like we've talked about too, is training caregivers uh, to implement these strategies is is really, really important. That study is so interesting. I remember learning something about that. There, or I, it might have been the same study. I don't know how new this was, but um, in grad school about there was this big study where they would just spend the whole time imitating the kid. They wouldn't even kind of work on anything else. And there was a lot of, po- I, I need to go back and read it all, but there was a lot of positive um Children really improved and started imitating and doing all sorts of things after that. Okay, so number two, becoming a narrator. Can you elaborate a little further on that one? Yeah, I I think this is such a simple strategy that so many parents forget about or are kind of unsure of like exactly how to implement. Um, I'll often get questions from parents like, so do I just need to talk to my child like all day, every day? 
And I always tell them, no, um, but you can be intentional about about talking with your child. Um, really taking advantage of daily routines, I always cue parents into. Um, daily routines can be turning on the light switch every time you enter your child's room or making your morning drink, whether that be coffee or a green smoothie or something, while holding your child and allowing them to observe. Um, it's bath time, meal time, story times. These routines happen multiple times every day. Um, so teaching parents how to use simple language to describe their actions or their child's actions in the environment during these daily routines really allows their child to hear and learn uh, and use vocabulary. Uh, so I have four small children, and I know that every parent, not not every parent, has an hour a day to play with their child. Um, that's just not practical. But I really like to emphasize that daily routines are repetitive. They happen every day. Um, and that's where we can be intentional and and make a world of difference for for these children. I see in my community, I feel like I see so many missed opportunities. I'm out and about uh, in terms of this strategy, um, narrating. Um, I have an example that, that happened a couple months ago. Um, I was at a birthday party um, that was outside, and there was a dad there with his little two-year-old son, um, and his son was putting rocks into a bucket. And the dad kept praising his son every time he'd put the rock in the bucket by saying, like, good job, buddy. But no matter what the boy did, the dad said the same thing. And, and the dad did nothing wrong in this instance. It was a great, um, it was so great that he was being attentive to his son and interacting in a positive way. But I wanted so badly to encourage him to use specific language. Um, instead, he could have said like, wow, you put the rock in. Rock goes in, in. Uh, and then when the rock fell out or, um, you know, the bucket got full, he could have said, uh-oh, it's full. Take the rocks out. Dump out rock. Out. Um, and I think we as SLPs, like we know how to use specific language um, and we know how important it is uh, to talk uh, around these activities and use use specific language, uh, but parents may not. So um, I like to give them examples and and teach them how to implement this strategy. I love that example. That's so perfect of using specific language and not just those Good job. Good job. Which is nothing wrong with telling your child good job. That's positive. That's very positive. But um, yeah, looking for ways that we can be more specific. You know, good job you put it in with the rocks in the bucket. Um, I know in my personal life, I keep saying to my children, you know, something like be careful or something like that. And it's like, even I'm working really hard to use specific language in situations like that. Like my son, <laughs> just a little bunny trail story here. He was learning to climb this um, kind of ladder. He's three years old, this ladder on our playground. And it makes me so nervous. It kind of gets a little high at one point and, but he can do it. And I just like, I had, I really am trying to train myself to say things like you're using really strong arms. Your legs are using great balance, you know, and your, your leg is going up and your arm is grabbing. And I'm really trying to use that specific language with him when he's doing hard things like that. And I know, um, you know, it can be easy to just say something like, be careful, be careful, be careful. But that doesn't actually <laughs> help them anyways. But yes. yeah, in all areas of life that like, yeah, the rock's going in. Yes, your leg is on the bar or whatever it is. Your hand is grabbing. You know, using that specific language is going to help them even follow directions <laughs> well and also to learn that language. 
I, I love I love that tip because I think that's something that whether you're an SLP mom or dad or even just someone who doesn't have a background in that, that's something to kind of always keep in mind to to try to use that specific language with children. That's I, I love that tip. That's very important. Um, also, another thing I was thinking about is um, I think I did talk to my firstborn almost all day long and it got so exhausting. <laughs> so I love the tip of like, it's okay. Focus on those routines. Um, that's what's repetitive. And that's what's going to really, um, they're really going to pick up on. And yeah, you don't have to exhaust yourself and become hoarse from talking all day long <laughs> yes. um, to your children. That can be a little overwhelming. So that I love that all your tips have been so specific. I, I think these are so great. Okay. So on to the next one, we have repetition. What can you tell us about that? Yeah. So kind of like we were just talking about um, being specific uh, during daily routines. Well, we also want um, our children to learn words and they do that by hearing them over and over again. Um, I think there's a number out there like at least 17 times a child needs to hear words or new vocabulary to learn to learn it. Um, so I always remind parents that you can't just say it one time and expect them to know. Um I think it sounds silly sometimes to repeat words over and over again, but it's important. So I like to remind remind parents that you need to repeat yourself. Um, and if you think about the number of times you have to ask your spouse or someone you're having a conversation with to repeat themselves because you didn't hear it the first time, um, you can understand the importance of repeating words to a child who has a, a short attention span and, and may not have heard you the first time. Um, so a number I like to advise parents uh, to to use words three to five times. And I like to encourage them to pick like functional target words, especially in the beginning when our child is just learning to communicate. Um, so words like all done, help, eat, more, these, um, these things that be- can be used in multiple contexts and um, help them to get their needs or wants met. Um, and so just like the example I shared earlier about the boy with the rocks, um, we focused on the words in and out. Uh, during that example. So each word was said multiple times just in different ways. So um, many parents, again, might struggle kind of like, well, what do you mean? Like, do I just have to say, here's the ball, ball, ball? And and you can, you can do that. Um, But even saying the word in a different way to repeat yourself is going to help them. I love that. That's perfect. And also at the end, we're going to repeat all repeat this list for you to, for that repetition for even adults. It's helpful to repeat stuff so that you can learn it. You know, um, I love that tip. Um, yeah. And I actually have a story about this that I feel like um, in regards to the value of repetition. And I feel like a lot of parents um, will relate to this one. It's not a specific example of when I was, you know, working uh, with a speech client, but from my own child. Um, And I don't use swear words, but I will often say like, dang it, when I spill something or something goes wrong. And the next thing I realized my two-year-old is dropping his toy on the floor and saying, dang it. And that is not a phrase I really want my two-year-old using. It's not a bad word. Um, But he's heard it over and over again. And so I think, again, all parents can relate to this. He's probably heard me say this phrase more than I realized um, and now has added it to his vocabulary. So avoid using phrases you don't want your <laughs> child to use, but repeating words and phrases to your child is going to help them learn those words and phrases. That's so funny. That that reminds me, um, I can't even think of one right now, but there's definitely some phrases, just like standard kind of adult-like phrases, nothing bad or anything, but I'll just hear one of my kids saying a phrase that I, 
I didn't even realize that I said so often. I'm like, oh, that's something that I say a lot. Kids help you realize what phrases you, are you kind of your go-to phrases that you say a lot? That's so true true. about repetition because they hear it a lot and sometimes you don't even realize. That's so funny. And putting the focus on functional words is a great tip for parents. I think it's pretty common for some parents to drill those colors, shapes, numbers, letters, um, things that you know, a lot of first words books that you see out there, um, a lot of children's books really focus on those types of words. Um, But those things may not be super meaningful for some children, they may not really be motivated by that. Um, And so yeah, finding those functional words that can help them actually use language to get their wants and needs met. That's really important. Which your example of saying ball, 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 repeating it many times. I think that leads perfectly into our next uh, our next point on giving wait time. Uh, <laughs> would you like to take it from here? Yes. Um, so wait time is a strategy that's really important in terms of taking and providing opportunities for a child to communicate. Um, again, I think sometimes we forget about the importance of wait time and especially parents. Um Children take time to process and respond. Um, So like we talked about using simple language and repeating ourselves, the next step is we want to wait. And I like to tell parents to wait five to 10 seconds while observing how their child responds. And even if they have to count in their head to keep from talking, help them understand that by waiting, they're giving their child a chance to give input and show them what they know. And I I also like to to remind parents that you're not just looking for words or verbalizations. Like, teach parents what to look for during wait time. Their child may point or vocalize. Um, They may attempt to imitate them, but they might make eye contact and smile or clap their hands together. Um, And these things are all a form of them communicating. Maybe they want more of what what you were doing or um, just the ways that they're already communicating. They're important for for parents to recognize and to meet their child where they're at. Um, So we want to teach parents to wait and then look for how their child is communicating with them and build upon that. That's so perfect. I love telling them to wait five to 10 seconds. And then I've even had them practice doing that like right in front of me, even in a session, because that actually feels like a long time, like like counting to 10, like one to like it really can feel like a long time it can it can kind of be this awkward silence um especially if the parents are watching me in therapy and you know they're like why isn't she saying anything you know (laughs) that's a great time to kind of explain to them what you're doing and also um for them to do that at home yeah because i think sometimes parents maybe are picking up on that i'm gonna repeat the words and repeat the words and you know it's really important to yes do that but then give them an opportunity um to be able to, you know, a pause so that they they can give a try at, at saying some of those words. I love that. So another way I like to teach parents to practice wait time is through play routines. Um, when we think of play routines, we typically think of reciprocal, like back and forth social games, like peekaboo or tickles, pushing in the swing, playing chase. Um, but you can also create a play routine around a shared interaction with a toy Um, like cars racing down, like ready, set, go. Um, So you can use it in multiple contexts. Um, But I'll tell the parent to create a play routine by repeating the play a few times. So um, for example, peekaboo, you repeat it a couple of times. And then after a while, once you've established how the play goes, you wait. And I tell the parent, pause, wait. And 
um, the child is going to then communicate to them that they want the play to continue. This can be the child looking at them, making eye contact, the child hitting their hand on the parent's hand or vocalizing in some way, um, making an approximation of a word. Um, but they're going to communicate with you that they want the play to continue. And then the parent continues that play. Um, so this is, this helps the child learn that communication is reciprocal and back and forth. And it's a great way for parents to practice wait time and recognize the ways their child is already communicating with them. And then you can build upon that. I love that. I think you explained that really well. Like maybe it is just eye contact or maybe it is kind of some sort of vocalization, you know, like just really be in tune and looking at them closely. How are they even trying to communicate something to me? Um, and I think that's something to, that's really important to explain to the parents that, you know, maybe they're not saying ready, set, go, but they're looking at you and maybe, maybe they clapped or pointed or said, go, you know, <laughs> I think trying to encourage any kind of communication and then building off of that is really important that you explain that so well. That was great. Thank you. Um, so I have an example of kind of how a play routine, I built a play routine with a client once and I loved this this memory always sticks out to me. Um, this little girl was four and she had a lot of pragmatic goals. Uh, and during our session, it could be challenging at times to get her to engage with me. Um, but one day we discovered the wake up game. And so like I mentioned before, um, I worked closely with, with occupational therapists. And so we had these big crash pads in our clinic. And this little girl started to pretend like she was asleep on the crash pad. And then I shouted, wake up. And she jumped off the crash pad with like the biggest smile and giggles. And then she began to do it over again. She said, go to sleep. And then I would shout, wake up. And we just repeated this game over and over again. But she was so interested in the activity. She was very engaged and having fun. Um, and we were still able to like work on her goals, even though we weren't, you know, sitting and doing a planned activity. Um, so it was such a simple interaction, but had a big impact. That's a, such a good example of following the child's lead. Like what, what do they just find funny or entertaining or what motivates them? Um, you know, that might not have been something you had planned for your session, right? So, but yeah, it was so motivating. That's so fun. Side note, my kids love to play pretend sleep and pretend wake I know, up. Right? They do it all it's the time. Like, the like they'll go. Game. <laughs> it's so fun. They get blankets, they lay down on the ground, they turn the light off. And then I'm like, y'all hate nap time and going to bed, but y'all want to <laughs> pretend. <laughs> it's crazy. It's so true. It's so true. It's funny. That's so funny. Okay, so the final tip, number five, is reading. And I feel like I think we could have like a whole series on reading books to children. <laughs> I feel like we could talk about this for a while. So let's go into um, that uh, number five, reading. Yes, I I love this tip. We love, I think, yes, as everybody, as all SLPs, we love children's books. Um, and we know that reading is so beneficial for so many aspects of a child's life. Research has shown that early education success is heavily influenced by books and being read to at home. And we know uh, what positive correlation and impact reading has to children on their language development. Uh, so books are full of communication opportunities. And I think that parents know that reading is important, but sometimes I don't think they understand how to read to their child in a way that encourages communication. Uh, so we want to show them how story can, time can be interactive. So like some strategies I like to share with parents are um, putting your child on your lap 
and facing you so they can see your mouth and facial expressions. Um, I mentioned this tip before uh, in getting face-to-face, but it's such a small change and it can have a big impact. So it really makes the shared reading experience interactive um, and more social that they can see your expressions. Another thing I like to, to tell parents is uh, to create a verbal routine around shared reading. Uh, this means like using the same word every time, um, for example, like open book or turn the page or the end as you close the book. Um, these can be repeated every time you read a story with your child. And this provides the child with a lot of opportunities to hear those words, to learn them, and uh, to eventually use them, to be cued in. Every time they get a book, they're going to tell you, like, open book, I turn the page, um, as they continue to hear that. I think we should just inter- – sorry, pause. I think we Go should ahead. just introduce our other guest here, in case people are wondering what the baby noises are. <laughs> My six-year-old you do. <laughs> if you hear adorable little noises, there's a, a third presenter here today. <laughs> Um, but he's being so great. He's sitting there, but I just, if you hear something, that's a, her adorable little six month old, right? Six month. Yes. Yes. Her, her adorable little six month old. Okay. I'm sorry. Continue. No, you're fine. I just figured Um, that'd be better than trying to like maybe edit all the sounds. (laughs) Just like, you know what? There's a few sounds. It's okay. I'm so sorry. No, you're fine. Um, and then another tip is to point out the words you're reading and the pictures on the page. So as um, we know, pairing gestures with words enhances word learning. So this is a simple way to do that when reading a book. So if you're reading the word cow, you're going to point to the cow in the picture. Um, And you can also try this strategy um, by pointing to the picture first before you read the word um, and see what the child does. So they might try and... um, vocalize or approximate the word independently before you even say it. Um, if they've heard it so many times and it, it's a favorite story. So um, pointing to pointing out what you're reading about in the pictures is really helpful. Another strategy I like to use um, and tell parents about, remind them about, is you don't have to read all the words on the page. Um, some children's books are very wordy. So I remind parents that, like, they're the boss during story time. Uh, you can simplify the text and just talk about the pictures even um, or simplify the story and summarize it. Um, describe what the characters are doing or even engaging in a game of, like, peekaboo when you have a lift the flap book, like uh, where Spot, I know that's a popular one, um, you can say peekaboo or just, like, make it more interactive um, and make the character make the sounds the character would even. Um. My youngest, my daughter, who's two, whenever we read um, Where's Spot, we kind of, we do it differently. Yeah, we don't follow the exact uh, words of that book because whenever we lift the flap, you know, it's like, is he under the stairs? And she lifts the flap and she always says yes because it's like there is something under there. I I don't think she realizes we're looking for the puppy. (laughs) She's just like, yes. The lion's under there. You know, yes. she didn't say that whole sentence, but she's like, yes, lion or something, you know, and it's like, and so I'm like, you know what? I like that. That's a cool version. We're going to go with that. I like, I like what you're saying when, while we're reading this. So yeah, I like kind of being flexible with books too. You know, you don't have to read it the ex- word for word. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And just like making it fun. I love that. Um, by adding meaning to the pictures and, and what's on the page and just making it fun is a fun 
fun way to use books to connect. Um, and then just when advising which books to read to a child, I suggest choosing books with simple words and phrases that are repetitive. Uh, books that go along with a, a popular nursery rhyme are also really great because they provide visual context to the song. Um, and songs are engaging socially, they slow language down, and they typically um, have simple vocabulary. So the visual the book provides with the song um, makes the, the nursery rhyme book just a winner, that you can sing the song with the book or without the book. Um, but the child is learning those vocabulary and are motivated usually by that. Um, a lot of parents have more than one child, too. So I always suggest kind of mixing a, some of these strategies um, each time they read to all their children, like reading the simple words on the page and then describing the pictures uh, if, if the text is long. Um, and I like to point out as well to parents, because it's so easy to do, um, a lot of parents quiz their child when they're reading. And I like to point out to parents that we don't want to quiz our, our children. Um, instead, we can make comments so that we give, give the child language and context uh, with the book, um, but we're not quizzing them and putting that pressure on them to talk or to come up with an answer. So comments can sound like, wow, big truck, or look, pig, and... Um, yeah, just really encouraging them to, to make comments um, instead of quiz, instead of ask questions. Uh, repeating the same books over and over again can also positively impact a child's vocabulary learning. Uh, there's a study by Horst et al. Um, from 2013, and it showed that three-year-old children who were exposed to the same three books um, learned new words and remember them versus children who were read nine different books. So all that to say, just books are gold. Books are winners. Um, I love books and teaching parents how to use them in their homes uh, to encourage communication. And getting that across to parents is, is just really important. I love that. Um, I was actually, I was thinking about that study, uh, that information that you just mentioned about um, reading the same books. Um, our bookshelf with all of our books are actually in either our playroom or my um, daughter my daughter's room and I had my youngest in another room where I, I really did just kind of like through, I haven't really, her nursery isn't beautiful. It's not Pinterest worthy, but <laughs> so I had just a few books in there, literally just a few. And I, I eventually have kind of rotated, but for a while I had kind of the same books. And I remember thinking like, well, you know what? Studies show this is great. <laughs> like we're going we're gonna to read, you know, good night moon, a hundred times. It's okay. But she, you know, they love it anyways. They love that repetition. Yes. I find oftentimes they ask you multiple times to read the same books anyway. So you don't have to have a Right, right. Sometimes even just in a row, just constantly. Yes. I, I love it yes. though. It's, you know, it's great for them. So, okay. So what books do you recommend to parents and then why? Because I think it might be important to tell parents um, ask qualities of books to look for, like maybe some actual examples and then, and then why that's a, why you recommend that that type of book? Okay, so like yeah, like we've talked about, um, simple words, interesting pictures, um, interactive books. Those are all kind of great things to look for with our early communicators. Um, books that are repetitive or go along with a nursery rhyme, like I mentioned before, are really fun uh, because you can work on the words through the song, and the child hears them over and over again. Um, and we know kids can be more motivated to imitate sounds before actual words. So books also with animals or like cars or trucks or things that, that make noise 
they can be motivating for small children. So some of my favorite like books for early communicators are like Brown Bear, Brown Bear. It's very repetitive. There's animals. So you can make the animal sounds. That's a great one. Um, Where's Spot? It's Lift the Flap, which is always fun for little fingers to, to help participate in the story. Um, and, and there's lots of different ways, like we kind of mentioned before, to, to read the story. You don't have to read it word for word. Um, Sandra Boynton books are so fun. Uh, specifically, I really love like Moo Ba La 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 and Snuggle Puppy. They're fun. They're simple. They rhyme. They're fun for parents to read too. Um, so I love, I love a lot of her, her books. Um, Petey by Olivier Denry. I love this one because the pictures are really simple. Um, and there's lots of ways to, to describe the pictures and talk about what's going on. Um, and the language throughout the book is simple too. It's about a little gosling and, and his little adventures with his hat. It's just a really sweet story. But again, simple language, um, engaging pictures. Uh, the polka dot series books, uh, there's lots of these, like Amazon has a bunch of these books. Um, but they're like these little dots on the page that you can poke and they make noise and they're really interactive. Little fingers, little kids are so interested in them. Um, and a lot of them you can find with like real pictures. So like real pictures of cows and horses or trucks and cars so that, um, they would be seen out in the real world. I, um, I love, I love those. We have some of those. It's like a little bubble that really makes a little pop noise. That's a good way to put it. My kids, my kids love, love those books. Those are so fun. Yes. They they have some, yeah, they have some with just even like one picture to a page, like right where the bubble is. And I think those are really great to kind of, for kids that are having trouble, maybe like even focusing and looking at the book during when, while you're trying to read to them you know, they're looking for that bubble and they're, they're looking for it and, and then they look to pop it. And then right there is a beautiful real picture of something to talk about. So I think it helps kind of reel in their focus a little bit sometimes. Another book that's super fun. Um, each peach pear plum is another one, um, that I love. It's full of rhyming words. Um, they're, all the characters in the book are from like nursery rhymes and it's kind of like an I spy book. So it's really simple language. Um, the pictures can be unexpected because you're looking for the next character. So that's a fun one that can be motivating for kids too. Um, I also think it's important to, we've talked about how it's important to, you can simplify the text, um, talk about pictures, but we also want to introduce narratives to kids. So books that tell a story are, are great too, like Ferdinand the Bull or Llama Llama Red Pajama, Little Blue Truck, um, Going on a Bear Hunt, Are You My Mother, the Biscuit Book series. Those are all great. They tell a simple story. Um, and there's just really so many wonderful books for kids. I love those. And I love how you did give us specific examples because I think some parents are like, pulling up Amazon, like, tell me, tell me what to get, like, tell me exactly. And then some parents, you know, maybe, you know, some of these might not be in their budget or whatever, but looking for the qualities. Okay. I'm going to look for maybe a book that I already have that's repetitive. I'm going to look for a book that I already have that has flaps, or maybe I'll just go get some post-it notes and make my own flaps on, on some books with pictures, you know, like you can, you can kind of use, you can use these, um, qualities and still read books like this without, possibly going and buying like a whole whole new set of books but you know some parents do want to do that so I like having 
both options out there. I think that's really important for parents on on what they're able to do. Yeah, I think local libraries too take advantage of of your library if um, encouraging parents to do that. They're free and they have a lot of of great books from board books to to others. So that's always a good option too. Oh yes, I love our our local library has great. Great little like story times and, you know, just you can browse through all the books and you can read them there or, you know, take some home. That's that's a great idea. That's a, a great recommendation to parents. Okay. Um, yeah. And I have a story about about kind of the importance of reading books in the way that encourages communication. Um, when I worked it at the private therapy clinic, I had this sweet boy whose parents were so attentive and involved um, and he wasn't talking yet. So they really wanted to encourage their son to talk. And this little boy loved to read. He loved to sit and read books. And so a lot of times uh, during our sessions, we'd, we'd sit and read for, for the time um, because he was so interested in, and motivated by them. And I remember the mom watching a few of our sessions and her telling me that, well, like I read to him all the time and I don't understand why, like, why are you doing it differently or why didn't that help him talk? Because I've been reading to him all the time. Um, so I was just pointing out that like the strategies that we just kind of talked about. Um, and then she became aware of the differences between how she was reading the story and just reading word for word, taking charge and turning the pages, not waiting to, to let him look or to point out in the pictures, um, and how that made a difference. And so slowly she was implementing those over time at home. And then she became an expert at, um, encouraging his communication skills at home with something he's motivated by and reading to him. Um, and so it made a huge, a huge difference to have her sit in on our sessions and for me to kind of help teach her um, how to interact with her son. Um, and that made such a difference with her son and helping his um, communication goals at home. And so to some parents, it just looks like all we do is, is play with their child or they don't understand... Um, kind of the little the little things that we're doing in therapy to encourage communication. Yes, I love that. And I love how um, we're giving them strategies to be able to use on their own that they might not um, pick up on naturally. That's so perfect. Um, so how often do you tell parents different recommendations? Like, do you sit down and kind of list all of these at one time? Or do you break it up kind of as they're ready for it, as the child's ready for it? Tell me kind of What's a good process for that? Yeah, I think like after an evaluation, I definitely try and give them like something to take home and work on. Um, but I think listing all the strategies for them would be very overwhelming. Um, so it's it's really progressive and, and takes time. Um, and yeah, so I would, if, if there's something that you're specifically working on in a session, definitely like talk to the parent as you're doing it during the session. Because we know as SLPs, we don't have a lot of time even in our sessions or after to take all this time to train parents. So I really love when parents can sit in and on a session um, and you can talk about a strategy you're using or giving them homework after after that week of, of therapy and telling them, okay, this week I really want you to work on using wait time as a strategy during the week um, and then report back on how things are going. Um, so really just little by little. I think 
all at once, parents can get easily overwhelmed. I think that's perfect. I think kind of week by week. All right, this week, we're going to focus on wait time. This time, this week, let's um, narrate our routines, you know, and um, that's, that's so helpful to kind of break it into chunks for parents. Um, do you have any helpful handouts or go to visuals or uh, lists for parents? Yeah, I have I have a handout on on my Instagram um, on my site just that lists these little five tips, and it's more in a parent friendly um, language. Uh, so it's just a little snippet, like a little paragraph under each each point um, that that might be helpful for parents um, in remembering to use the strategies at home. That's perfect. I'll I will link to that in the show notes um, in case anyone wants to download that. And to be able to talk through this with the parents um, and even let them take that home. Um, you could even circle maybe week by week. All right, now we're going to focus on this step, you know, uh, repetition or whatever, whichever one you're on. Um, I think that's that'll be really helpful. I do have a book recommendation for parents if they're interested in diving a little deeper into speech and language development. It's called Time to Talk by Michelle McCroy Higgins and Carly Kolker. And it's a book uh, written specifically to parents all about communication development and dives a little deeper into the specifics like speech sound disorders, language disorders, fluency, literacy, bilingualism. Um, it's a really great resource and a reference to go to, but it's written specifically for parents. So it's in, um, you know, parent language. It's easy to understand and easy read and again, a great reference. So I really love to recommend that to parents as well. That's a great idea. I know. I feel like that would be my personality as a as a parent to like just give me all the information, give me a book. I want to just probably just go be a speech language pathologist like I already am. <laughs> but yeah, so that's true. depending on, you know, a lot of parents might might want that. Um some may not, but I think that that's a great resource to have um to mention. That's perfect. Um I will link that book in the show notes for you guys so you can check that out if you're interested. A little blip about a bonus strategy. Um, and I know, I don't know if everyone will be comfortable with it, but um, just talking to parents about screen time and kind of um, how that can negatively impact communication. I know it's like a touchy mm -hmm. subject and obviously like you don't want to do it in a shameful or guilt-driven way. Um, but just educating parents even that like the American Academy of Pediatrics has recommended like children under two should not be having screen time um, and that children learn best from interacting with their environment and the caregivers in it. Um, so that's just important. That is important to note. I mean, especially like that's what the research says. I mean, it's it's evidence-based, you know, it's not even just our opinions. Yes. Uh, my kids don't have, iPad. I, I don't think they'll, they maybe they'll get iPads when, if the school like makes them for homework or something, but we don't even have yes. that. But. Same. I mean, we do watch TV sometimes, but it's like... Oh, and to I'm like, limited. and I'm not yeah. saying my kids do watch TV. We just have... I think it's important yeah. to talk about like setting boundaries around it. Like it's not... Mm -hmm. When we're at the grocery store, our child is learning by like watching the world around them, not being disengaged from the world around them. Right, right. Yeah, into exactly. a screen, right? Anyway. Yeah, especially those going out moments. Yeah, it's just a good recommendation for parents because I think a lot of parents don't even know that. Like they're just like, oh, yes. my kid likes this. So they're happy. Yes. I'm being, I'm great. Like they don't even think like, I just guarantee you so many don't even understand. And so it would 100. be a good thing to mention. So um, 
Something that I, I don't know if parents always understand is uh, the research behind screen time. Um, and I know this can be a touchy subject in our tech-savvy world, uh, but it's also really important. So I like to remind parents that it's really important for they themselves to set boundaries around screens and have boundaries for their child. Um, we sometimes, as parents, get so distracted with our phones and devices because they're easily uh, accessible, but we also know it's so important for children to connect and get face-to-face and for their caregiver to respond to their bids for communication um, and just their interactions. Uh, so as we... Um, as we kind of set boundaries for ourselves around screen time, uh, we can respond appropriately and help them to develop those pragmatic skills that are important, um, as well as just their communication skills and ability to talk. And uh, the American Academy of Pediatrics recommends that children under two should not be having any screen time. Um, and research has shown that children do not learn from screens. So they're not learning to talk from TV or for, or any screens. They need um, interaction and connection with a real person uh, to learn to communicate. Um, screens can negatively impact language development because the child isn't spending time with their caregiver or, or learning about the world around them. So I think this is just important to remind parents um, or maybe even teach them if they don't know. Because um, sometimes that that knowledge isn't um, isn't known by everybody. So um, just recommending that um, parents set boundaries around screens. I think that's important to note to parents because I, I think, like you said, I think a lot of parents don't even know. They think their child's just, oh, they're happy. You know, they might not even have any kind of intention that's negative, but um, just kind of maybe making them aware, um, you know, especially if they are kind of struggling with some language development that aren't just that passive staring at something, right? So they, they're interacting, um, you know, say you are just at the grocery store, you can be doing the narration where you're, oh, Apple, this is an Apple, I'm putting Apple in the cart. You know, I know it's hard to, to do that all the time. And sometimes it is easier to just have some screen time, but um, just being aware of that and doing what works for your family. But um making sure that parents even know that that's out there. Like some, I think some parents might not even know that it's not the best practice to have screens all the time. So I think that's a great so point. True. That's very good. Kelsey, this has been so awesome. I can't thank you enough for coming on and explaining all this to us. I think this will really help SLPs out there feel more confident um, giving recommendations to parents. Thank you so much. This was so fun for me. So thanks for having me. Thank you for listening. We hope you learned something today. All of the references and resources throughout the episode are listed in the show notes and also listed on the Pep Talk podcast for SLP's website. If you've been listening while you're driving on a run, doing the dishes, this entire episode is transcribed for you to refer back to easily. If you want to learn more about Kelsey, make sure to check out her Instagram at speaking with intention, where she shares a ton of helpful early language development information and ideas. Kelsey, thank you so much for joining me here today. Thank you. That's it. You did it. You listened to an entire hour worth of professional development. Time to get credit. Just click the earn CE credit here link in the show notes of this podcast episode, and it will take you to this course's webpage on my website. Purchase a simple quiz and earn your certificate of completion.
I have enjoyed this episode so much and hope you have too. If you loved it as well, you can rate it on your podcast listening platform and or follow me on Instagram and let me know there too. Thank you all for learning along with me. This marks 10 episodes, which feels like a mini milestone for me. I'm really honored you have chosen to spend your time with me. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much for listening to this episode on the Pep Talk Podcast. Remember, you can use this podcast episode for a professional development hour to maintain your ASHA CCCs. You must earn your certificate of completion in order to get credit. This podcast course is also TISHA certified. I live in Texas, so that stands for the Texas Speech and Hearing Association. All the references and information mentioned in today's episode are listed in the show notes. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, or simply want to chat, please email me or find me on Instagram, Facebook, or go to peptalkpodcastforslps.com. Thank you for joining in and for continuing your education with me.